Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Pipeline Superheroes podcast, hosted as always by Grant Cohen, founder of Bloom Growth Studio. Uh, today, we have Zachary Fink, CEO and founder of ViTrack. Zachary, how are you doing today? Doing great. Much better now that I get to be on such an incredible podcast. So Dave's okay. just going uphill from here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Thank you. I'm sure. Yeah. You know, and make sure you like and subscribe and all that good stuff. Um, awesome. But to, to dive you right too, into the meat of like and subscribe. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. Um, and to dive right into the meat of all things, um, comprehensive care management platform. What is that? We have a lot of folks that are selling, you know, B2B tools, B2B SaaS tools within the general health tech Fear, which is, you know, very, like even just using that is over generic of a term, um, but we'd love to understand, you know, what that means for you, comprehensive care management platform and, and who needs it. Yeah, so uh, I our, our slogan on our website is the standard of care has changed. And what we mean by that is uh, there's becoming this kind of global understanding now that healthcare is not what happens in your physician's office. It's not what happens when you are in the hospital. It's all those little intangible moments that happen in your everyday life. And our philosophy is those moments actually aren't so intangible. You can make them very, very tangible and create workflows and operational efficiency around the information that's coming in that way. And the whole goal of this is quite simply to take healthcare from this really reactive thing to a much more proactive thing. If I can use a really simple technology, catch the moment your health starts to change in a direction we might not be really excited about and intervene there, not only can I potentially save a life, I can save hospitals millions of dollars, I can save, I can save physicians so much of that time that it takes them in those visits to say, hey, what's going on here? How have you been? You know exactly how they've been. So when we say comprehensive care management, here's what we mean by that is, now that we're getting this information from the patient outside of the, um, I wanna say the classic four walls of how we consider healthcare, there has to be operational efficiency and workflows surrounding those processes. So a lot of uh, other systems out there, they don't really kind of parse that information in bite-sized chunks or pieces, right? It's just, here's a million alerts, here's a million vital signs, these are million questionnaires and things that you have to do. What we, what we do that is that care management piece is we answer two very important questions I don't think anybody else in the industry is answering is, so you've got all these patients and they're all taking vitals that are generating alerts and they're taking questionnaires that are generating alerts. And they got appointments coming up and you got missed calls and you got all these things. What we do is we answer two questions for every member of your staff, which is number one, where do I start? Where do you start, right? You got all these things competing for your attention. We answer that question for you of, here's the patient that needs your help the most operationally, not clinically, operationally, dependent from that information we're getting. And the second question we answer, which I haven't seen anyone else attempt to answer is, well, what can I do about it? right? For example, a red alert blood pressure comes in from a patient. Everyone likes to think there's about a million things you might do in response to that. But our system might only allow you to do four or five, six things in response. And once you break down those options, start using a little bit of AI and machine learning, start suggesting a couple things. Now we're talking about true care efficiency at the point of care when a patient actually needs it, not reactively, but proactively. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um so tell me about like the user journey. Is this something that a hospital buys and is able to bring onto its patients? Is this something where like I'm engaging with the platform if I'm an end user, white labeled or not? Um, would love to understand like how is the product is sure. interacted with. 
Yeah, so it's uh, from both focuses, right? We got to think about the the actual customer, and then we got to think about the patient, the end user. So it's truly a B two B two C approach, and our customers all can look very different. Everything from a classic private practice physician moving up from there a little bit to a larger medical group, moving up from there to a payer or a health system, moving up from there to actually working with insurance companies. For example, I'm having some really interesting conversations with Blue Cross, you know, so what our customer looks like is very different. And then on top of that, what we do at Vitrack is we don't just look at how a chronic condition affects your physiological health. We also look at how does your chronic condition affect your mental wellness. So we're also working with things like school systems, with mental health providers. So there's a lot of different ways to look at healthcare and trying to take any system that offers healthcare and say, how do you do that less reactively and more proactively? So our customers do genuinely look very different, but anybody interested in how to make their healthcare more proactive is technically someone who could be our customer. So that's one side of the coin. But then the actual user, I think, is really important to mention here too, is the patient. Or uh, what I like to say is humans who happen to be patients. And they come in all shapes and sizes. We like to think about patients on more of an access to care spectrum, right? So on one end of the spectrum, you might have what, what a typical patient looks like on our program who might be quite elderly, maybe doesn't have a very high level of technology literacy. Maybe they don't have Wi-Fi or a smartphone. Even if they have a smartphone, they're not going to be able to keep up with an app. How do we create this, this really, truly life-saving solution for that patient? Then on the other end of the spectrum, you might have another patient who's really tech-savvy, wants better oversight, wants the most cutting-edge tech that's out there. How do we service that patient? So we truly cover that entire spectrum. So that way, the data at this point, and I, I know RPM is seemingly a, a younger industry, but there is so much data, and it is so clear now, and it's quite obvious, if you deal with patients' healthcare proactively, you're genuinely going to save lives. And now that we know our technology saves lives, we have a, a responsibility to offer that technology to any kind of patient, regardless of, of all these different factors and where they may fall on that spectrum. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, it's really interesting whenever you're working with sort of a two-sided platform, like, you know, we've talked about there is the, you know, metal, the medical provider side of this, and then there's the patient side of this. Um, how would you describe like your ideal customer or your ideal sort of patient and then the ideal hospital? Like, is there something specific or is this something where a lot of different types of both patients and health providers can get value out of it? Yeah, I would, I would say the latter. Honestly, we've, we've seen my favorite thing about showing somebody our software and doing our pitch is at the end they go, well, what if you used it that way? And I go, oh my God, what if we didn't use it that way? And you start working with some really interesting use cases. So our customers really, it's any patient, any provider of healthcare, truly. But I, I think just to mention one kind of customer that we've really focused on since, since the very beginning of Vitrack has really been more rural health, focusing on rural healthcare, right? Those are the people that are truly experiencing a lot of health equity issues. They're experiencing a lot of access to care issues, both geographically and, and all these different social determinants of health in these particular areas. One to mention where we really got our start is a place called El Centro, California. So this is right on the border of California and Mexico. And this area actually just lost its one hospital. So we're out there trying to advance health equity, trying to advance access to care, trying to work with this truly rural population and bring them this life-saving kind of care. And I remember after our second year of working with this population, truly creating different models and outcome systems for them, one physician said to us, 
wait a second, you're working with, you're working in El Centro. And we're like, yeah, it's really where we got our start in Broker Keith. They said, if you can make it work for that population, you can make it work for any population. And that's what we found very, very quickly is every model after that just became kind of silos that broke off of that initial model. Fascinating. And I love like the, the stories as part of this, you know, any mission driven, especially health focused business just has unbelievable stories to tell about it of, um, you know, uh, changing people's lives. And it's always an, an interesting vector in terms of like how you judge your success, right? Because sure, like a CRM tool can improve business, you know, improve business efficiency and save folks time, but it, you know, necessarily improving health outcomes is just such an extra part of that. That isn't, you know, on a top or bottom line revenue number. Um, and then what I wanted to ask about as well, so you mentioned on the website that you leverage AI to really get some of these, um, some of the nuances and some of the uh, takeaways from the data itself. So curious, like what you've learned from that, like, and, and like how the AI necessarily works as, as well as you can explain it to a layman, just because I find that like, you know, you're going to have access to this unbelievably huge data sets. It's information that is relevant to everyone. Everyone has vitals, of course. Um, and then you have this AI tool, which is training itself on that. And, you know, there's been so many interesting uh, nuggets of uh, information that's come out of these AI tools, whether it's self-driving cars or the like. So curious, like what you've been able to sort of glean from the data, because I would imagine that'll be, that'll come to a point where we'll be able to publish uh, really interesting data findings that can help the medical community as well. Totally. Yeah. And yeah. and for me, more the, the truly the data point that I just want to keep proving over and over until I'm blue in the face is remote monitoring, proactive healthcare, monitoring a patient every day saves lives, right? That's the, It's not rocket science. And the more data I have to just prove that, the more lives we can save. I have so many stories of patients calling or physicians calling and saying, that patient was going to die. They were going to go to the hospital. They needed to go this. And I changed a medication. I brought them in my office. I got a home health nurse out to see them in time. And now they're completely okay. And these stories are happening every single day. And and it just takes two seconds to sit back and think about it and go, if I wait for the patient to decide they're sick enough to get to me, and especially I know my grandparents can be very, very stubborn, especially when it comes to health, right? They're not saying I need to go to the doctor until they're on death's door. They're like, okay, maybe I should go to the, you're like, yeah, I've been telling you that for six months, grandpa. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. But if you can flip that entire conversation and have it so that the doctor calls the patient and says, hey, Bill, it looks like something's going wrong with your health. I'd like you to come in or, hey, that Lasix you're taking, maybe take an extra one, you know? That's flipping the script on how we're truly looking at healthcare. So when we're talking about AI and machine learning, right? Um, one of my advisors likes to say all the time, you put in good, you get out good. You put in, and he used not more colorful language than I'm about to use, you put in bad, bad's gonna come out the other end. And that's yep, true. Yep, yep. Right. AI uh, is not super sci-fi at this point, right? It's not thinking for itself and uh, coming up with new algorithms and decisions, right? It's it's a lot closer to something that's almost like um, an if-then engine. If right, X right. event happens, then I want Y to happen. And the mm -hmm. more you have ifs and thens with a lot of different options, it can start parsing, well, 99% of the time someone's going to click, if this happens, they're going to click, then I want this to happen. And it starts getting smarter and can start recommending things. So it's getting smarter only in the sense that it's doing pattern recognition. So it's not thinking up new questionnaires or care management plans or operational efficiency. What it's doing is if you architect this really interesting system with an economy that has outcomes and actions associated that all leads into health points and analytics, 
if you're putting in really, really good and it's architected really well, your AI can only be as smart as what you're putting into it. So that's something we spent a lot of time focusing on is let's put in as much good as we can. So that way everything being um, processed through the AI and the machine learning that comes out on the other end is also really good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that analogy of, you know, putting good, getting out good and like, um, data is just necessarily a currency. And it's really interesting just having that information. Um, and then just out of curiosity, because this is something that I'm personally interested in sure, you know, having yeah. an Apple watch and, and wearing it a lot. Um, and it seems like every time I get an update from the watch, the remote monitoring of some of the metrics are different or what they're measuring is different. And, you know, I'm really interested in some of like the health-based stuff, like how many calories I'm burning or, you know, what are my runs look like and all of that. And then, you know, I see, um, new metrics that come up that are more focused for folks that maybe have underlying conditions. And luckily that's not the case for me. Um, but just curious, like, do you think that the Apple watch is necessarily up to this standard that could really help Vitrack and like sort of this industry writ large, or do you think that like, we're going to approach a future where people have more robust um, remote tracking sort of vital signs devices? So I, it's interesting. We actually already do connect to uh, Apple Health, Fitbit, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I even recently had a meeting with Google about Fitbit and how we are thinking about it and using it. And and it's and it's it's really fascinating. I think there's kind of two parts of this, right? Number one is the vital signs that they gather. So the way we like to think about vitals gathering tools are apples, and we are an apple cart, right? So mm -hmm. your apple measures blood pressure, it measures HRV, it measures a pulse ox, a heart rate, whatever that is. We take that. We set parameters for it in our system, green, yellow, or red. If it comes back as yellow, red, we put operational workflows behind it so you can actually do something useful with that information and not just put it amongst noise, but put it in the right piece. And if you think about healthcare as a symphony of all these patients and different notes that they're playing of where you need to go next. So for us, the Apple Watch, the Fitbit, anything like that is just an Apple. We connect to it, set thresholds, put in an operational workflow. Now, all of a sudden, your Apple Watch and Fitbit are actionable from a healthcare perspective. So that's kind of the other side of this. I spend a lot of time speaking with, for example, cancer patients. And they always say, I, I asked one of them one time that I started asking all of them this, and they all have the same answer. I said, what was the scariest moment of your cancer journey? And it's not the moment where someone says, hey, you've got cancer. It's not your first chemo. The scariest moment is when someone says, hey, actually your cancer treatment is over. It's done. You're in remission. You got to go home. That's terrifying to somebody because you're going from a 10, if you want to do scale one to 10, 10 medical necessity of your everyday life, your tests, you're going in doctor's appointments all the way down to a zero like that, right? And what a lot of cancer patients end up doing who have gone into remission is they're wearing five Apple watches, six Fitbits, an aura ring on every finger, right? Their life's been thrown into a little bit of chaos. So they're getting these vitals monitoring devices to get some of that control back. So now they can keep an eye on themselves. But what we do is we say, it's great you're keeping an eye on yourself and you're getting that out of curiosity, but we can take all that curiosity, your, all your different vitals monitoring devices and make that information actionable. So if your Apple watch is saying, hey, your pulse ox is dropping, we can alert your doctor and let them know. Now, granted, your doctor will know that that pulse ox dip did come from an Apple Watch, right? And to take that with a grain of salt, how you want, is it coming from a classic pulse oximeter or an Apple Watch, right? And leaving it up to the clinicians to make how well, how much weight do you want to put on that? But it's truly all about taking people's curiosity and making it actionable and putting it into mm -hmm. an operational mm -hmm. workflow. 
Yeah. And I find that there's definitely like a cohort of folks that are like, you know, I'm sure there's a more sophisticated way to characterize them, but like health optimizers and they want their yes. Apple watch sort of like me. I wouldn't say that I'm that extreme in that, but it's like, I want to be in the perfect shape or like there's um, the company called Levels, which created, you know, like uses the um, the diabetes blood sugar tracker, but it's for folks who want to optimize their diet and their blood sugar levels, not necessarily diabetics. So I just find like there's probably an element of that in all of these tools. And I wonder how much you think that really like benefits yours, your like sort of product and, 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 and motion, or is it really just sort of, uh, you know, it's a novelty for some folks and it does really move the needle. Yeah, it, it, it's it's tough, right? Because uh, the remote monitoring industry right now, if you're curious about it, I, I can nerd out on this stuff all day, but it's really broken up into kind of two sides of a coin. On one side of the coin, you have the reimbursement, right? And that's if you perform X, then you get reimbursed Y. And we make it really easy to do that. And the reimbursement is some of the highest that exists out there because for Medicare, it's a no brainer, right? If I can keep you out of the hospital, I'm going to save money. We we actually recently did a study where we said, let's be as conservative as we can, right? If for every 100 patients, I can avoid three hospital readmissions a month, which costs Medicare at up to $15,000, right? If I take that population, turn it into 1,000 over the course of a year, I can save Medicare almost $4.5 million, okay? So- for them, it's a no-brainer to make reimbursements really, really high. So that's why a lot of private practices, um, medical groups, you name it, are jumping on this bandwagon. They're getting paid very, very well to take better care of their patients. So patient wins and physician wins, right? Patient gets better care, hopefully gets their life saved by this kind of technology, and physician is getting reimbursed really well to do that. Now, on that side of the coin, the only way to get reimbursed is the vitals monitoring or measuring has to be done through an FDA-approved device. So the Fitbits and the Apple Watches, those don't really count. Now, on the other end of it, there's a whole other side, which is the value-based conversation, right? That's usually when you're talking to a health system or a hospital, for example, and you say, hey, we're going to monitor your patients every day. When they leave the hospital, what are you doing right now? You're crossing your fingers saying, oh, God, I really hope they don't come back. And then they show up again in your hospital for the exact same thing, and you're shocked. You know, It's because no one's watching them. So the idea is they leave, we monitor them, we catch the moment their health changes or if they need anything, send out a home health visit, get a nurse out to the house, change the medication, bring them into the doctor, right? So that value-based approach is going to save the hospital all that money on readmission. Now for a hospital or health system, they might find it really interesting to use a wearable, right? So much of the conversation now is how do we not interrupt a patient's, we like to think about not interrupting a practice's workflow, but what about a patient's workflow? What are the ways they're already gathering their vitals and monitoring what they're doing? Let's just take that information again and just make it actionable. So there, there is really interesting use cases for the classic reimbursement side of it. The, the wearables don't really work, but there are plenty of other use cases where, where they are quite interesting to the, to the physician, usually when we're talking value-based. Yeah, fascinating stuff. Um, awesome. And then by ways of wrapping up, as this is the Pipeline Superheroes yeah. podcast, we'd love to understand how you've been growing um, and you know, what's worked and what hasn't worked so far in terms of the go to market and all that fun stuff. Yeah. So, um, I, if anyone ever asked me for advice on starting a company, right. <laughs> the most important thing I see to everyone is surround yourself with an incredible team, right? People who are way smarter than you have been doing this way longer than you. So my advisors like to say they've been in healthcare longer than I've been alive. 
So that was really useful for me when I first started. I, I remember there was this whole boom of everybody, VC money, raise, 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 round, C, you name it. And all of my advisors had the same piece of advice. They said, do not go VC route, right? This is lucrative enough, easy enough. We've got some really interesting things, um, different verticals right off the bat. And also I'm sure if anyone ever tells you there is no element of luck, that's crazy. Right. A lot of it is just right place, right time, luck, you know, this person or that person. So we got really lucky right off the bat in terms of our company that we were able to self-sustain. So to date, we haven't taken any VC money. And that's not to say there isn't a really good case to take VC. Right. If someone came to us and they said, I've got all these doors I can open in this health system and all these lives you'd have access to, which to me translates into potentially lives I could save. Of course, we're always open to the conversation. Right. But if you can grow it off your own back, if you can truly, truly bootstrap it, every decision we make at our company is five of us sitting together going, what direction do we steer the ship? No one picking up the phone and saying, where'd all that money go? You, well, I want you to do this. I want you to do that, right? It's really incredible, especially because for, for our industry, for the remote monitoring industry, it is so young and there's still so much innovation to be had. There's still so many things we're learning and understanding and workflows and how all this functions in a private practices office versus a hospital system, right? So that freedom of knowing that we bootstrapped and that we can innovate as we see fit, as we want to respond to the market has led us to do some really, really interesting things. And I think create software that would not be achievable under your classic VC model. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Well, really exciting stuff. Really excited to follow along with your journey. Um, I'll include a link to your uh, website and all that good stuff in the show notes. But is there anything else you'd like to promote? Um, this podcast, absolutely incredible. Wonderful. Great, perfect answer. Go download it wherever you get your podcast. Look up Grant Cohen. Go follow him. <laughs> the best. <laughs> nice. Nice. Awesome. Perfect. Nailed it. All right. Well, Zachary, thank you so much and take it easy. Awesome. Thanks.